Hello, welcome to Sound Engagement, a podcast devoted to engaging with our culture and community from a Christian worldview. I'm Brad Mills. And I'm Peter Anderson. That was such a soft announcement of your name there. I'm Peter, I'm Peter Anderson. Anderson. <laughs> as, as we're about to hear about bold Christianity, I need to start having a little yeah. more. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Well, yeah. why don't you, uh, before we get into that, or even introduce what we're about to listen to, uh, mm. I think it'd be helpful to hear a timeline. We're kind of excited about some of these yeah, upcoming yeah. interviews. Yeah. Well, the first person is Ian Hewitt. We're hoping to get him on uh, in the next few weeks. He is a lawyer. Uh, he's um, writes with Carmen. Carmen is our, Carmen Schober is our guest uh, today, and, and he... Uh, specializes in free speech. And then the other person is uh, Jeffrey Barrows, and he is the vice president of ethics and policy at Christian, excuse me, um, Medical and Dental Christian Association. So we're very excited about that. He's going to be talking about transgenderism in children. So we have a lot to talk about. But uh, Carmen Schober is our guest today, and she is the head and the founder, CEO of uh, Stasios, S-T-A-S-E, OS. You could look her up. Uh, great writer. She was in the academic field for seven years. And um, you could listen to her story, how she got out of that. Now she's writing full time to encourage us to be bold in our faith. So awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and she mentioned several resources throughout the interview. We'll be we'll be sure to include those in the show notes. So you don't need to take notes as you're listening. But I hope you enjoy the interview. All right, so I am really happy uh, this hour. I'm going to be talking to Carmen Schober, who is the founder of Stasios. And um, I wanted to really talk to you, Carmen, a little bit about some of your main concerns. It sounds like you and I just kind of met um, randomly. I read one of your <laughs> articles. who was on the road to hell is paved with virtue signaling. And I loved it. And I wrote you an email and I said... Um, really like your passion and we and you asked me to be on your podcast and i was on your podcast a little while ago and uh it sounds like god must be doing something because it seems like there are a lot of people right now in the state of the church that seem concerned about what's going on uh seem like there's a lot of compromising and it's salient as well it doesn't seem to be obvious or you know it's not like these giant heresies that are going on right now but it just seems to be really kind of uh yeah, uh, just out of the ordinary, I suppose. So I would love, but before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? As I yeah. said, you're the founder, Stasios, which is a which is called which is for a platform for quote bold Christianity. Yes, but um, I'd love yeah. for you to talk talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Peter and Brad, for having me on your podcast. I am thrilled to be invited. I don't I do a lot of podcasting myself, but I've only been invited on. I did a Rocky podcast years ago. Um, cause I'm a Rocky super fan. And then I was also nice, on John nice. Bunyan's comedy podcast. So this is only my third one. So hopefully. Is this Rocky fun. Balboa or and, Rocky Horror Picture Show? No, no, oh, I, Rocky Balboa. We have so much in common now. <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's these two oh, brothers man. in Canada who have a Rocky podcast and they just invite various oh, like Rocky oh. experts on. And so I went on. Oh, wow. We just talked about <laughs> Stallone movies. I'm a Rocky fan, but I'm also a Stallone fan. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Did you watch his most recent um, Rambo, the one that just came out like two years ago? Is that number four? I think so. 
Not good. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, there are, I I love Stallone more than many people, but I can still say that a lot of his movies are not very good. Nice. Yeah, exactly. they are pretty bad. So my background, <laughs> yeah, Adrian. Yeah. My background is uh, I have two liberal arts degrees, both of them in writing. I have my master's in creative writing and English literature. So I spent I've spent the majority of my 20s wanting to be a writer. Um, that's looked different at different points in my life. But um, really kind of the most relevant piece to our conversation is um, back in 2018, I had this big revelation because I had a daughter. Uh, I had my first daughter, Vivian, and I, after giving birth to her, I still wanted to be a writer. I had all these goals. I had all these dreams, but as I was holding her one day, I remember it very, very vividly. I remember looking at her and thinking about the type of person I wanted her to be, and then thinking about the kind of person that I was at the time, and what struck me was I've, I've been a Christian for a long time. Um, I've been committed to being a Christ follower for a long time, but for a long, long time, I was very afraid of offending people. I was very hesitant to say anything that could be controversial or um, make people think badly about me, especially mm -hmm. in the academy where it's not very popular to be a Christian or to be conservative really in any way. Um, and so I did a lot of like hiding in the years before having Vivian, I just towed the line. I was pretty careful and cautious. And I feel like I just, I was afraid I was cowardly really, um, if I'm being honest. And part of it was because I wanted people to like me. And part of it was because I kind of bought into this lie that it's a very convenient lie that Christians who do that are somehow persuasive. Like I thought, oh, you know, I'm so I'm so agreeable. Surely people are going to care about what I have to say, even though I don't say anything. <laughs> and then um, also opportunistic. I just wanted a book deal. I was looking ahead as a writer and thinking, you know, if I'm too controversial, no one will want to represent me or my work. So those were all my think, all my thoughts. And then I had Vivian, and I just thought to myself. Do I want Vivian one day to love Jesus and be like me, mm. like I am right now? Do I want her to love Jesus and hide that about herself and always constantly be strategically wondering, you know, how mm. she can love Jesus but have minimal, you know, have minimal responsibilities for serving Jesus or sharing Jesus mm. or anything like that? And so that was really just this big moment for me where I kind of had this reckoning of like, this is not who I want to be. This is not who I want my daughters to be. If I'm a Christian, I need to act like a Christian. I need to think like a Christian. I need to talk like a Christian. I need to walk this out because what what is the point of what I'm doing? You know, like it's it's very dishonoring to God, but it's also very mm. dishonoring to myself too. You know, I'm hiding a very important part of myself. So from there, I started speaking out more and writing more controversial things. And that just slowly led me into eventually creating Stasios, which wow. is kind of just that hub for the things that I always wanted to talk about and write about and that were on my mind and that I think are important, but I never did. <laughs> and it's very helpful yeah. that I have a co-editor, Ian, who has been a bold Christian for longer than I have. So he was already kind of ready, ready to jump in and do that yeah. when the time yeah. was right. 
Yeah. It's amazing how uh, children will really change you um, the minute you're holding them. Not only do you, because it's almost like a lot of your your selfishness, whatever is left of it, goes away without, you know, I, I say that to a lot of my single friends. It just, you don't even realize that whatever selfishness you might, may have had, it just, it departs because you have this little person that you're taking care of. And yes. wow, it sounds like God just like immediately put on your heart. Okay. How do I want to be an example for her? That's yeah. a... That's an amazing story. So this is only two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. a pretty new journey. I mean, before wow. that, I had, I did different writing things, different kinds of, you know, kind of always melding a little bit of cultural commentary. I also do fiction writing. Um, my first novel is kind of a, a play on the Rocky <laughs> and how that that's out there. So I've done, I've always done kind of different things with writing. But yes, that was definitely the moment where I was like, I'm going to use this gift to Kind of like as a ministry, I'm going to do it for mm. trying to embolden Christians to help them feel like they can think about these things and talk about these things and kind of boldly go into culture and participate. Well, how, and, hey, yeah, go ahead. Um, please. How has your your podcast or just your interaction with um, with others? How has that changed or or improved over time? Has podcasting given you a platform and a, a, you know? opportunity to speak uh, to people who would not have found you otherwise? Yeah. So, you know, I think the response, I've had two, two different responses to kind of my work with Stasios. And um, obviously one of them is when you, when you come out saying things that are true, but un unpopular, um, there are always people that, you know, don't like it. So I have lost many many friends, especially because I, I was mm. in academia for seven years. And so I would say very, very, very few of those people still interact with me or acknowledge me or anything mm. like that. For many of them, I am, I'm, I'm Voldemort. <laughs> they can't even oh, yeah. say my name. Right, right. <laughs> wow. yeah. um, but uh -huh. on the flip side, uh, on the flip side of that, well, and I should even add too. So there's that and that's sad, you know, we were sure. quote, friends. Yeah. Um, but I have also lost very, very dear friends, and that's hard. Those are like people that I've known my whole life who just don't, do not, um, basically, in those instances, it's, they are so far into progressivism that they can't separate the idea that what I'm doing isn't hateful. You know, they really mm. buy into the narrative that because I'm saying certain things, even if they're not hateful, that they necessarily are because, you know, whatever, because their professors have told them that or they're what, you know, just the, the narrative is that I am I must be bigoted and I must be hateful because I have these specific views. So that has led to me losing some very close friends. And that's hard. But on the flip side, I have gained so, so many more people that um I mean, how we knew that Stasios was the right thing to do is we've just clearly seen in the short time that we've been doing it, which I think Stasios is only about a year old now, um, just tons and tons of people being like, I cannot believe that there are people out there who think what I'm thinking or who are saying, <laughs> who are saying this because this is what I have wanted to say for so long. And I just, I didn't know how to say it or I felt like I could never say it. And so there's just, there is this real audience of people that I have reached in just the last year that it's okay. growing all the time and they're very enthusiastic. They're very hungry mm. for what we're doing. And so that's, you know, very fulfilling and very, 
mm. uh, motivating to keep doing it and to, you know, especially when it's hard, when you lose friends, um, that's a terrible feeling. But then when you have someone who loves Christ and is suffering, you know, and feeling very um, discouraged and they say, wow, thank you. That really, really helped me not to get swept up in all of this. That's that's worth it. So, yeah, I mean, well, and were these friends, were they Christians? Were they in the mm. church or were they, you know, just not? I know you probably didn't yeah, yeah, no, as much okay. as you're comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, most of the people, this is kind of a, a side thing, but almost every single Christian person that I grew up with is no longer a Christian. Um, mm. They were very, wow. most of them were very much into like the emergent church. And so mm. if you're familiar with that movement, you know, like the Rob Bell type thing. And so over time, they've just kind of slowly drifted further and further. And then eventually they just no longer identify as Christians. So by the mm -hmm. time either about in that journey, most of those people were either well on to that journey or off done with Christianity by that point. People who still identify as Christians and maybe are just more liberal or more moderate haven't had quite such a, like a, they're not so quick to cut me out, it seems like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But these are, these are people that you knew and trusted and all of a sudden just because. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the stuff. And, it, and also mm. just to let our audience know, I mean, you're, I have found um, like m most, almost all of your posts, they're not necessarily contentious. They're really well-researched. They're, they're, they're have a, have an, um, a good balance of academia as well as humor. They're fun reads. I mean, you're a very, very Thank good writer. You. You're just clear Thank and you're engaging. <laughs> and um, so I'd encourage all of our listeners to, to definitely read that. Um, Thank you. I'll do a quick I, I little note. Oh, sorry. No, go. You go ahead. Yeah. Go, um, well. Well. Yeah. I mean. Well, you go ahead first because I could. I could okay. actually. Yeah. Please. Yeah. No. Sorry. I was just gonna say. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I would just give a little note to people listening because I assume if you're listening to this, you're interested in kind of the same thing that we're talking about, which is Christians being willing to talk about things that are controversial and contentious, and you know. And I use contentious softly. It just means people are going to want to contend with you, not necessarily you know, uh, biting or anything like that. Right, but sure. um, very right. often people accuse me of being, of having a mean tone, whatever that means, you know, like mean subjectively. And I, I won't say that I never do. Like I kind of have, I like sarcasm. Like I, I can be a little like, you know, I, I have a somewhat aggressive personality. I will, con I will concede that I'm occasionally maybe too mean, but what usually <laughs> happens is they don't like what I'm saying, but they Absolutely. don't want to yeah. argue with what I'm saying. And so an easy way to shut it down is to say, well, the way that you're saying it is not loving. I'm not going to, you know, and so it's, it's a, it's a um, strategic way of not engaging in the conversation that I'm trying to have. So that's it's just, a, it's oh. a soft cancellation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's funny because I actually got on this little Facebook, uh, you could call it a debate or anything or whatever you want to call it. And I, I use no use statements. I was very direct, but I was assertive and I was accused of being really, really mean when the person I was arguing with was attacking my, whether or not I'm a good therapist, <laughs> whether or not I'm a good father, um, attacking my character, mm -hmm. like that was totally left out of the picture. It was because what I was saying was, you know, she disagreed with, I was right. somehow being a little bit too mean. So thank you. That was very well said. I've been <laughs> used to the same thing. I'm like, 
How was, I don't think I really was. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like, I mean, tell us about how, um, how we're, you know, the church, how we in the church is not necessarily encouraging boldness. And do you feel that the church gives in to this kind of passivity? I, and, you know, I, I definitely have seen that a lot and I could, I have my own theories about that, but I would love to, you know, your own background and, um, but, you know, how do you see that? I mean, you know, yeah. with, especially with encouraging boldness, because we do seem to be very passive and we're very careful. Mm -hmm. Maybe that has to do with a lot of our, you know, the eighties, the fundamentalist background and, you know, that, yeah, the the moral majority, and you know, right. the, maybe some legalism that yep. some people had to go through. So, yeah, what's your what's your take on that, both in your own Christian background, but also universally? Yeah, to, that's know. a good question. There's a lot of little things that I think could play into that answer. One that I'll just speak to, since you kind of reminded me of it, is one reason why I think the church is passive is we've made the mistake of ceding too much cultural ground to progressivism and progressivism infects pretty much everything like every institution every educational institution um is very um hostile to traditionalism it's hostile to biblical christianity i mean it's just we've we've lost that cultural ground and because it is in the education systems, and I would argue more importantly, it's in the arts. It's absolutely mm. saturated the arts. Every single, almost every single book or movie or anything that a young person today is consuming begins with the premise that Christians or traditionalists, however that looks, maybe it's not Christians, but it's people who are not progressive, um, are are legalists, are mean, are oppressive, are, we're always the antagonists. We're always mm -hmm. presented as the antagonists. Every major Christian character, aside from maybe Ned Flanders, is presented as evil or deranged or ill-intentioned. I mean, I think Handmaid's Tale, the Handmaid's Tale show is a perfect mm -hmm. example of how mm -hmm. they love to project Christians. And so a lot of Christians are aware of that. And so our response is to be like, no, no, I'm the, I'm nice, I'm cool. Like we're kind of yeah. overcorrecting this image that has been put on us because we've let cultural institutions just be dominated by the way progressive is progressives see us. So that's one piece um, that I think is important. And then Christians, oh, we when we talk about this a lot, Ian and I, Christians we point this out that like, there's these horrible depictions of Christians in the media and Christians should push back on those. We should be mad that we're being presented mm -hmm. in this like absolutely foul way. But then you even have Christians, I guess, because they're <laughs> they're so traumatized by this. They just defend it. They're like, oh, well, they're just pointing out like the dark side of religion or whatever. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, you don't need to defend other people tearing us down at some point we can stand up for ourselves at some point i mean we can obviously say like christians aren't perfect but why why can't there be any christian characters or protagonists that are normal or interesting or mm -hmm. not evil? you know like why yeah. the agenda is pretty blatant especially as someone who writes and reads fiction and studied it you know it, it's straightforward they think we are villains and we're not allowed, mm -hmm. we're not even allowed to be cool villains like a lot of other people are. We have to just be the worst mm -hmm. possible villain. So I think in a lot of ways, young Christians, especially, obviously, they don't want to be identified that way. So their response is to be like, oh, no, I'm not like that. <laughs> so it results right. in a passive Christianity. Um, the other yeah. piece of it, I would say, is just 
you know? Well, it's always, oh, sorry. It's always playing the defense as well. It's like you're yes. as exhausting to always play the defense, yes. you know, it's just, yeah, never play offense. Exactly. Sure. It's always, yeah. you're always kind of, yeah. And then, well, and then I, oh, I guess this kind of ties in. A lot of people have a very one dimensional view of Jesus and they think of him as just very nice and very meek and very agreeable. That's the only type of Jesus that they like really think that's the only characterization of them that of him that they have. Um, and coincidentally, being that that way is the most socially advantage advantageous way to act, mm. right? So it kind of mm. coincides like, oh, isn't it convenient that Jesus is this very passive, nice, always, always loving, you know, not to disparage therapists, mm. but maybe people just kind of treat oh, him sure. like no, this, please do. this very, <laughs> I, I think I wrote about it. I said, people kind of vacillate between Jesus being this very pushy, aggressive social justice warrior, or he is this very passive um, uh, therapist that will let you think and do whatever you want. And those two things cannot be like the only, yeah. you know, those, those aren't even compatible and those right. can't be, you know, yeah. they can't coexist at the same yeah. time. So it's I, either a male version of AOC or like, <laughs> yes. you know, Carl, yeah, or like Carl Rogers and yeah. just like whatever you feel, buddy, you know, exactly. yeah, it's either one. Yeah, exactly. and, 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 yeah go ahead. Oh, I would just say every, every any negative thing that he might say or criticism he might give is only to be directed against the church, never the culture, right? Have you right. noticed that that's yeah. like, if you start to say, point out things, it's always, yeah, but that was the religious, you know, the yes. religious uh, yeah. right that right. should be criti criticized exactly. right now. Well, and you know, it's a really interesting point about that. I didn't know this until somewhat recently because yes, I'd always heard that. It's always directed towards religious people, always directed towards the church. But, you know, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and those two people did get probably the bulk of the criticism that we read about. But what a lot of people don't know about the Sadducees is in many ways, they are very similar to kind of cosmopolitan leftist. Like, obviously, they have different beliefs now and then, but the same kind of idea of they thought they fancied themselves very progressive. They thought they were more forward thinking than the Pharisees. And in both cases, both of those groups were just acting primarily to gain social advantages. You know, it right. was it was advantageous to be very religious and um, strict and legalist uh, and to be legalist. So that's why that's why they did it. And I mean, today it's socially advantageous to be licentious. It's socially advantageous to be very like whatever you you right. do you except for on like these certain things then you absolutely do not do you you do what i say um it's the same it's the same spirit you know and that's what jesus is criticizing it's cr jesus what we should recognize is jesus criticizing people putting themselves making themselves the authorities rather than making god the ultimate authority and you know and and just go tie it all back together the church I think is passive because we really want a pat on the back from the world. We want the world to say, you can, you can hang out with us. You're cool. And that was just never the point of the church. <laughs> so that's why we're right. having a big, yeah. a big problem in a lot of yeah. ways. What would you say um, is, is, are there anyone that you would recommend or uh, that you would say models at this point in time 
a good example of, of interacting with the culture, uh, representing Christ well, and, and also speaking the truth in love. Yeah, that's a good question. Oh, thank you, Brad. Yeah, thank yeah. you for mentioning me. Yeah. Very- <laughs> that was a joke. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think I think Peter. Oh, okay. Other, oh, other than Peter. Oh, other yeah. than Peter. Well, yeah, other than <laughs> other than Peter. Peter right. and me. Well, there's actually quite a few. I think and obviously, yeah. you know, like I'm I'm I should preface, I don't mean to be like a big church basher. I'm I'm speaking in very general terms. I'm talking about yeah. the American church yeah. in very like sweeping terms. Obviously, there's lots of very faithful church leaders, people doing the very best that they can sincerely in it because they love Jesus and they love their flock. So don't want to say, I don't want to suggest that that's not a thing, that that's not happening. Um, As far as people that I think are doing kind of what I think they need to do, especially in this cultural moment, um, Owen Strawn, I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's, I think he's coming out with some very good messages that need to be heard and he's presenting them in very thoughtful ways. Um, very bold, but also, you know, not, not belligerent, not unnecessarily, um, contentious. Um, other people, John Mark Comer, if you're familiar with him, he's based in Portland and so, you know, Portland, like that's, that would be a very, very difficult place to be a pastor. And uh, as far as I know, I haven't really followed him a ton recently, especially after a lot of the, you know, a lot of this racial things kind of started happening. But he has been one who, at least in the past, I think has done a very good job of engaging with culture in a bold but persuasive way. He's really like stuck to his guns, but done it very gently. Um. There's a new gal on the scene. I don't know if you guys have heard of Monique Dusan. She's with the Center of Biblical Unity. And I think she's doing some good things. Basically, she's a gal who was really deep into critical race theory. She like really believed it, digested it, thought, you know, all white people are evil, all people of color are benevolent and need, you know, X, Y, and Z, and was very committed to that ideology turned away from it and is now actively trying to create unity amongst Christians of what does it act, what does justice actually mean for us as Christians and how are we going to bring it about? And we need to adamantly reject the cultural's way, the culture's way of insisting that we do this. So I think all of those people, there's many more, but those, those three kind of come to my mind doing some interesting things. Would it be also like fair to say too, because one of the things I feel like, you know, it's bringing us together and I feel like, and there are some other people that I'm noticing on YouTube and um, podcasts as well, which is the critical race theory, Mm -hmm. the way this silent Marxism, whatever you want to call it, cultural Marxism, really invading the church, especially the race issues, uh, the progressive um, mindset of this kind of new religion of wokeness that is just really all over seeping and almost in denominations and coalitions like the gospel coalition that I used to really go to and trust. I can't even go there anymore without being, you know, preached to that. I'm, I'm, I need to feel guilty for my skin color, which uh, I've got so many issues on that. So, I mean, where, where, where do you find Peter? But yeah, I'm sorry. Just to interject on that too. I have noticed, and I don't know if you've 
you may have already written them off, but <laughs> they have sure. a few articles recently. And I wonder if they're trying to kind of address that, provide some balance because like Elisa oh, Childers yeah. is on there. And I yeah. think even um, Ed Stetzer has recently recommended uh, or, or given a, a space in a series on white fragility, which is involves several woke uh, authors, but also Neil Shinby was invited oh, to, oh, to participate. That's great. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, hopefully you're hoping. That's yeah, a, hopefully it's like coming there. in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was amazing how quickly that had, you know, turned mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, and so, what? Where do you feel like the church? Uh, like, as far as what? Why, why have we compromised on that particular issue? What is the compromise? I should ask that first. Yeah. What is it? Is it the gospel that we're compromising on? And what is, you know, so what are your main concerns about that particular movement? Maybe you could explain to our listeners what is it that, yeah, in particular. Um, that you see in particular that you feel that is causing this drive to wake us up from our wokeness, whatever you want to put it as. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. No, that's a good question. Actually, it reminded me too. Um, another person, I should have thought of this. I just did a podcast with him. His name is A.D. Robles. You guys seen him before? Yeah. YouTube mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. Very good. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. He's been actually very winsomely, but assertively critiquing woke church for probably longer than a lot of people have. So he's definitely one to look into. Yeah. We, we had this exact conversation of why, why is social justice, you know, whatever you want to call it, social justice movement within the church, progressive movement within the church, woke movement within the church. I kind of use them all interchangeably. They're all kind of have the same end goal. How did it, have such the foothold that it does and why does it have that foothold and there's many concerns i have there's many reasons why that could be the case but i just think it really comes down to christians are not being taught that the primary reason that they exist and the primary purpose of being a christian is to worship God. I, mean, I know that sounds weird, but I'll, I'll kind of like try to explain it in my own life a little bit. So mm -hmm. like I said, I, I became a Christian when I was fairly young and I, I have always believed in God. I've always loved God to a certain extent, but my natural inclination as a human being was to think that God is going to help me do the things that I want to do. Like now I'm a Christian, hooray, I'm saved. And God is going to help me achieve the goals that I want to achieve in my life. That was the way that I thought about Christianity. And that's like mm. kind of true, right? Like it's a little bit true. Like mm -hmm. God cares about my life. He cares about, you know, the things I'm going to do. And he is going to actively be part of them. But my mindset was very much that I kind of decide the life that I want to have. And I, I try to sort of like, I get God's input. I do the best that I can, but mostly he's just going to help me do what I want to do. And I think mm. the vast majority of Christians think that exact same way. They think that the main reason, the, the best part about being a Christian is that God will help you do what you want to do instead of God saved you to do what he wants to do. <laughs> and mm. it's a hard, it's a hard thing to like come to terms with, but I remember um, you know, after going through kind of what I just described earlier of being kind of this cowardly Christian and then starting speaking out and losing friends and, 
you know, I also lost various opportunities. I had a literary agent interested in my book who pulled out because I was too controversial. You know, things like that happen. And I thought to myself, this really should not be as devastating to me as it is, because mm -hmm. as a Christian, I should expect this to a certain degree, right? Like Jesus warned me <laughs> that there would be a cost and that I should count it and that I should expect to not always be welcomed and that I should expect to not always be um, understood. Like if we look at our savior, he's the ultimate example of someone who's misunderstood, slandered, you know, accused, all these different things. And here I was living my life kind of shocked that those things were happening to me. And it made me realize it's because I thought that this was primarily about me. Like I, for a long time, I lived my Christian life thinking it was primarily about me. And I think the trouble is when we have a church full of people who do that, it's just, it's just the perfect recipe for if anything gets a little bit hard, if we get a little bit of pushback, if we get a little bit of persecution, if people tell us to be quiet, if people tell us they don't like what we're saying, we're just going to be like, oh, that's uncomfortable. That's not going to lead to me getting what I want. So I will just kind of compartmentalize this. I will kind of go along with the flow. So that way I can still have what I want. I think it comes down to we want the benefits of being Christians, but we don't actually want to walk out what it looks like. And hmm. that has led to people, the social justice movement within the church kind of allows for both because you get to say like, oh, I'm a Christian. I have that identifier, but I also believe all the same things that the world believes and I'm fighting for all the same things that the world hmm. fights for. And I'm going to get all the same opportunities as anybody else. Well, and I also wonder if the, especially with the conservative movement, you know, and that's great to hear about the gospel coalition if they continue, is that I wonder if it's tricky because they know we know that about ourselves, like that we're not brave mm. at times that we compromise. Now this is my opportunity to kind of speak up on these issues. I yeah. actually I think that's maybe where it starts. It's like, okay, there is some type of racism that I've experienced in my church or there's some type of sexism. Oh my gosh, this is a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I remember being in Mississippi and being really confronted with a lot of racism and multiculturalism, the identity politics that I had heard in my own practice was very attractive to me mm -hmm. at the time. And yeah. it spoke to that part of me that was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm bold here and mm -hmm. I'm confronting stuff and it tricks you in yeah. that way. It's, 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 um, it's like I'm confronting my white elders and their quote white racism and I'm feeling good about what I'm yeah. doing because it seems like it's, yeah. you know, this is I mean, biblical justice right? and this is what God wants us to do. You're being um, like Jesus and the world likes it at the same right. time. <laughs> it can just be a pleasant aroma leading to <laughs> yeah. life for everyone, never, never to death. Yeah, mm. right? That's how well, it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, because speaking speaking on that, because one of your main subjects seems to be on biblical justice and virtue. And my next question in your blog is when I quote you, the road to hell is paved with virtue signaling. You state American Christians have been told simply to be kind and win people over with vague, doughy niceness because anything more severe might offend someone. Such poor instruction has created a weak willed church full of people who have no idea what it means to be truly virtuous. Uh, instead, they only know how to virtue signal and avoid discomfort. There are many reasons why this is dangerous for both believers and those who they hope to influence. I just love that quote. So how do you, how do you think this niceness is, is 
uh, yeah, how, how is it tricking us, as I was kind of alluding to? How is it hurting us? And, uh, you know, how would you advise us or Christians who are trying to engage in this in their workplace, school environment? How how are we different from that? And, and how yeah. can we be sure that we're doing the right thing? Very good question. So I think that am I, am I still sounding good? My my audio sounded mm-hmm. kind of weird for me. OK, perfect. So I think it's two things. The main one that I the thing I want to emphasize that hopefully people will be persuaded of when I say this is being well actually let me back up a little bit so i'm i'm all for being um nice like i i like being a nice person i don't want i don't like it when people think that i'm mean i'm i'm for being warm and making putting people at ease i like that i think if you can do that you should always strive to do that however i think most people think that nice is the same as agreeable and those are two different things because there are times when you cannot agree. You cannot, people will say things about the nature of reality, about gender, about sexuality, about justice, and you can't agree. They're saying things that are false. They're saying things that are evil sometimes. So you cannot mm. agree with them. Um, and I, I said niceness in the article, but I'm, I'm kind of was using that term to also refer to this agreeableness of kind of like, mm. well, um yeah i see what you're saying like most christians will always kind of preface everything that they say with a lot of qualifiers to make sure the other person doesn't feel like you feel too strongly about the thing you're about to say and i think the main thing i would just plead with people to understand about that is that's not persuasive like i think people think they're doing that because they think it will actually you know be persuasive to someone that's not actually persuasive that's just that's just shows that you're a little bit afraid or, you know, like most people are smart enough to pick up on what's happening in those interactions. And it's, Mm -hmm. you don't want to be in a conflict with me. So you're, you know, you're, you're softening yourself to a certain point. And it's just, I, one thing we, we try to convey in Stacios writing and speaking is that boldness is persuasive. People kind of automatically write it off that if you're too bold or if you're too passionate, if you're too whatever, people aren't going to like it. But it's just simply not true. I mean, I'm sure if we all just think about people that we really admire or people that we, you know, have learned from, they're people who feel strongly about the things that they believe and that they teach about. And it's it's just, it's, it's a sad mistake that Christians have made thinking that the more passive we are, the more doughy we are in our approach that people like that (laughs) like it's just not it's proven not to be persuasive i mean uh, we can see uh just from like a a data standpoint i think barna did a poll where they asked young evangelicals you know if they felt like they should be witnessing to their friends about their christian faith and the vast majority of them said no they shouldn't be doing that because that wouldn't be like wow. persuasive to them, or that would be that's that would be um, a poor witness. Witnessing, just witnessing, would be a poor witness. And so we just have this very wrong, wrong understanding of the idea that if we're just if we're just passive, somehow people are just going to really be attracted to the ideas that we're unwilling to talk about. Mm-hmm. So that's the first part. Um, yeah, go ahead. I had a second part, but I have to. Remember. No, I want to hear your second part. Then. <laughs> okay, let me, think about uh, let me remember what I was going to say. Well, yeah, while you're thinking of yeah. that, you know, it's, it's funny as a, as a therapist, uh, 
I, I teach communication and when people don't know their core need and they're focusing so much on the um, kind of like, if you think of it as like uh, inflexible areas, excuse me, flexible areas, things that they're really flexible on. And when they focus on things that they're really flexible on, but they don't actually know what their core need is, they get nitpicky and they get contentious and they become passive aggressive. And it drives the other partner crazy because it's like, why are you complaining so much about, I got Starbucks last night and I didn't get Dunkin' Donuts. And what I, what I try to teach clients is like, state your core need. What is the most important thing that you can't live without? And once you get there, your communication becomes significantly less passive aggressive. Mm. It's so much more clear and your partner actually feels so much better because at least they know where you're coming from and you actually nitpick a lot less. And oh. I see that a lot in the church. It's like, we'll nitpick about teeny tiny weensy things, but if we don't state our core need, we're all over the place. Yeah. And, and you know, the gospel should be first and foremost, bam, this is the thing I can't live without. And this is what it is. Okay. Let's, you know, have some debate over here, but that's uh, when you're right. talking about that. That's a very good the, insight. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think that but what is, I'd love to hear your yes. second. I remembered, <laughs> I remembered my second point. I'm very bad at, good. I say I have two things. I always like, <laughs> I wanted to give you a break. Yeah. yeah I was like, right. so the second one is, and it kind of ties into what I was saying earlier um, about uh, just the this this one dimensional type of view we have of Jesus. And I think sometimes we have this one dimensional type of view of ourselves that if we're Christians, that just means that we're nice and we try to do mm. the best that we can do in these little spheres of our life. And one thing that I just, maybe it's because I'm a writer, I don't know what it is, but I've always been very interested in characterization, been interested in the way that people, that writers create characters, that we create our, these images of ourselves, who we want to be. Um, and I think Christians, especially more than any group, should tap into the, should tap into our status as super villains. And I know that sounds really weird, but what, what I'm trying to say is Jesus was vilified. Like, okay, Jesus was vilified. He was absolutely considered, um, you know, like I said earlier, misunderstood, accused, all these different things. Um, we shouldn't be surprised when that happens to us. And you can kind of get this this energy from that <laughs> so only when it's only when you're being wrongly vilified right i'm not i'm not saying like become a villain i'm saying though you no, they're actually like that no i don't think you should <laughs> quantifiers. I'm, I'm holding on to it yeah you know what I, you know what I, I you probably you can get me on like a psychological level here what i'm getting at so and especially you know i i like to box i like mixed martial arts i like fighting and there's just something to be said for people kind of putting this on you, you just kind of taking it in and saying, you know what, you you think I'm this villain, I'm actually your worst nightmare. <laughs> in like a, in a, but kind of owning this of like, I'm here to bring the truth, I'm here to do it unapologetically, I'm tapping into my, my bold side, you're not gonna stop me, that kind of energy. And I think Christians could, could use that. I think that's pretty persuasive in a lot of ways, especially we see in, media today, I think there's a real opportunity for uh, like people like to really try to psychoanalyze villains now. I don't know if you've seen that, like, in you know, the, the, the thing with a lot of popular uh, narratives is, 
oh, the bad guy is actually the good guy. You know, that's sort of like the twist in a lot of movies now, or the good guy is actually the bad guy. And so- or at least I making think, you sympathetic to them, right? As yeah, much as they can. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's something useful to be learned at this, this moment in culture for Christians is we're very much being painted like the bad guys. So you might as well, you might as well be an interesting bad guy. You might as well be a, a bad guy that people want to know more. And if you're just a passive little doughy bad guy, then you're not, I mean, you know, no one cares. But if you're at least, if you're, if you're willing to stick up for what you believe in, if you're willing to kind of surprise people a little bit, you might be able to draw them in to the dark side, which is actually mm. not the dark side. <laughs> yes, to the light side. <laughs> to the light That's side. good. Exactly. I kind of, I, I agree with, with everything you're saying. And, and, and yet there is also like, uh, so I'm a pastor in the Presbyterian church in America, the PCA, and um, their, their motto would be faithful to the scriptures, true to the reformed faith and obedient to the great commission of Jesus Christ. And I would say there's this kind of room for a fourth addition to that, which would have to do with a desire to be winsome in the culture. Mm -hmm. It's like this winsome, it becomes a, a pet word that gets thrown around everywhere I go in our denomination. And one of the, I think, example, the, the biggest examples of that would be Tim Keller and his, his, he does have a way of kind of speaking to the culture where he acknowledges some positives that can be taken from a particular worldview or particular argument and then giving pushback. So in his most recent article um, on biblical justice, he, he tries to do that. He sets up the argument in, in such a way that he, he acknowledges the foundation of a biblical justice, um, which I think you know, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that article or um, on any part of it. But but certainly that first part, I I thought there's some room for conversation to be mm -hmm. had. There's some room for for disagreement in that position he establishes. But then he goes into a critique of four major uh, secular views of justice. And I, I thought that was helpful, especially in, in what I hear most of the time is, is, you know, Christians are, are just speaking past one another. We, mm -hmm. Keller, Keller, uh, is just assumed to be in the camp that's, that's largely influenced by Marxism mm -hmm. or critical race theory. And you just sort of every, everything he writes, you, 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 you read it from that angle, that lens. And so your argument is, is really not against his position at its core. Um, so I like the fact that he critiques these four views and then compares them to a biblical justice worldview. But anyways, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. There's, I could say more about you know some of the positives and negatives of that, but I'd love to just hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So I um, actually talked about Tim Keller with A.D. Robles as well. Okay. Um, we both our fans, we like Tim Keller. Um, what we agreed on is that Tim Keller is as woke as you can be without getting into too much trouble. <laughs> That's what we were willing to grant Tim Keller, but he's, he's right on the razor's edge of things that make me uncomfortable, but he's still within the bounds of what I think is, you know, I think he's, I think he's, has a true understanding of the gospel. I think he is, mm -hmm. has the right intentions. I think we just, I think he's influenced by things that I am not 
super comfortable with. And some of it is mm -hmm. Marxism. Some of it is just, just kind of, a, you know, I mean, it kind of makes sense. He's in, he's based in New York. I'm sure his reality feels different than mine in a, in a little bit. Uh, but in response to this particular article, like you said, I think he says some things that are true and some things that are helpful. I think, you know, I'll let people read that and decide, you know, come to their own conclusions on some of it. But my main contention with Tim Keller is he's very insistent on the idea of this like corporate collective sin. And I just do not think that that is a biblical concept. And mm. I, in fact, think that it's not biblical and I think it's very destructive. And so if it, it, that's literally my one beef with Tim Keller is that thing, because I think that's the most dangerous. Like, I think he has so many very good ideas. Like, I think his book, Counterfeit Gods, was excellent. I think that's a very helpful way of realizing mm -hmm. how idolatry works. I mean, I think he clearly understands um, a lot about how the gospel can be applied to your everyday life. But this insistence that there's this, this way that sin from the past is transferred onto me in the present is not a thing. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, it's not a biblical concept. And I would direct people to Neil Shebney, who we talked about earlier, has an excellent article where he kind of just goes through um, pretty much every point that Keller brings up to support that idea and really challenges it. And I think in a compelling way, but I'll just highlight two of them. One of them is that Keller, you know, references times where God judged uh, groups of people for, you know, sins that were done by their ancestors or whatever, you know, like the, the group is, is punished for some little subset within the group. But the point of that isn't that all of those people were guilty of the same thing, right? Like just because God punished uh, a particular people group for something that their ancestors did, didn't mean that, that that guilt was transferred on to those people. That just means that the sin had a ripple effect and God's judgment was carried out. So I think Tim Keller kind of zeroes in on like the site. It's he, the way he presents. It's almost like, you know, if my, my dad did something, I'm somehow guilty for it. That's, there's no way that that's, that doesn't happen. That's not biblical justice. Like I am, if I am in Christ, then I am, there is nothing. There's no sin imputed onto me, not even my own, let alone my, like my ancestors. Like it's just, it's not true. And then I think the implications are just very troublesome of like, okay, so let's say this, this collective guilt is a thing well, why is it only limited to the collective guilt of white people? Because I think mm. if we ventured into the collective guilt of black people, the collective guilt of indigenous people, the collective guilt of gay people, you know, if we want to get into these little groups and talk about collective guilt, I think people are going to start getting really uncomfortable really fast. So the fact that mm. the only the only realm that it's really ever considered is the collective guilt of white people. And we're just using examples from the Old Testament to make that case against white people it kind of shows that this is just kind of meeting a specific, very hmm. current moment of hmm. a conception of justice and not really useful or helpful to us. Um, because yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I wouldn't want to, I don't hold anyone responsible for 
sins that they did not commit. Like, you mm -hmm. know, it, it really, I know that that's not satisfying for many people, but if they really carry that through, I mean, that's how you would want to be treated, right? Like you don't want, you don't want that for you. So why do you want that for other, other people, especially fellow believers? So, yeah, no, well, it's funny you say that because in this, in the psychological field, um, Steven Pinker ticked off a whole lot of people with a book called the blank slate. And the reason why he angered so many people is because a lot of people that were writing these parent books were saying that, you know, the collective, um, I guess, habits or reforms of the particular parent are going to drastically affect how your child behaves. And so Pinker actually stated in this book that there's there's really no evidence based on, on you know, on that particular theory. In other words, mm. that just because your parents do A, B, and C, that Billy is going to turn out to be doing C, D, and, you know, yeah. it's, um, and he ticked off a lot of parents in the field. He also ticked off a lot of child psychologists, but Pinker's view has actually been proven to be correct, that you can't, you can't make these assumptions about people based on their past experience that they're going to turn out to be a particular way. Yeah. And so people try to do that with diagnosis. People try to do that with, um, you know, uh, like I said, in, in, in uh, parenting tactics or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because that's, that's been always my struggle with a lot of this stuff. It's like these ideological assumptions that come from race theory or gender theory. They, they don't have a, a standing in, good scientific fields mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. and then when you try to bring that in um you're being a racist or something <laughs> try right. right. anyway i won't get too much into that but i wanted to bring that in as a second just a, using some secular research even yeah. that his assumptions are are flawed from a, not even a biblical perspective but a psychological perspective yeah that's fascinating i didn't yeah. know he was making that's that's very insightful yeah well, and i will add just um, you're saying. my <laughs> my libertarian friends will be very very happy that i throw this in there so you know <laughs> that chart that he included um where he has like the different types of justice you know he, he kind mm -hmm. of like assigns like postmodernism to with marxism and he ascribes um libertarianism with like freedom it, what we were talking, I was actually just talking to Ian about this earlier, and Tim Keller usually, I think, is very good at taking very complex subjects and making them more simple and helping you to remember them and all that. But I think that chart actually is less helpful than, hmm. I think it might actually cause a little bit of confusion because he's just, I think it's too simple, right? Because if we think about Marxism and we think about postmodernism, those are two totally different things. Like a postmodernist is a complete and total moral relativist. They don't believe in any objective moral reality. Your average Marxist does. Your average Marxist does think that things are right and wrong and they will fight very hard, you know, about what those things are. They might not have very good arguments for it, but they do think that way versus like a postmodernist, you know, some a, a true postmodernist would be like, oh, you know, we're all, we're all just, you know, we're all just deciding what's right and wrong for us. And then, like I said, for my libertarian friends, they very much did not like the chart because they felt like it was conflating libertarianism with objectivism, you know, objectivism mm. being like this really intense. Like Ayn Rand. Yeah, like Ayn yeah. Rand. Yep. Right. Um, yeah. Just a, a very um, selfish, you know, like, the, the, the highest good is my property and my rights and my this and that. And that's different from libertarianism because libertarianism is just a philosophy that 
in your system of government, liberty should be the primary goal, but that's to protect you from a destructive centralized government. And so it's just, just a little nitpicky thing on Tim Keller on that is just, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think he's not necessarily helping people to think about this in the most useful of ways because it's, it's just kind of suggesting that like liberty is not so great. Like, you know, it's like on the opposite end of, of Marxism, like they're both bad. And I would say that they're, you know, like libertarianism is far and away much better at producing just outcomes than Marxism is. So Absolutely. You know, yeah. little, little things like that. I, well, I think nuance is really important because that leads to my, my, um, you know, uh, one of my last questions and uh i could talk to you all day <laughs> this is you've written because this is good because i think when we talk about specificity we can't cancel one another anymore and you've you've addressed quite a bit on cancel culture uh in your blog on jk rowling you wrote uh that the left sex communication of jk rowling for defending free speech and for holding that women exist as part of a broader left-wing practice of narrative subversion many progressives have an increasingly strong aversion to truth beauty and normalcy as seen in the lens lengths they they will go to in order to deny or distort what is good for human flourishing. It seems that in the last decade, they've really focused their hatred on masculinity specifically, probably because masculine men pose the largest threat to their authoritarianism. Rolling before she was deemed transphobic and a turf, she was seen as one of the feminist liberals leading to the girl uh, power parade. And, uh, you know, this, I think this all, kind of comes together, but can you elaborate on this and how you see this cancel culture also subverting our own message to talk and have dialogue and which is why we're, why we exist as a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that article, man, that took me a long time to write because that one, I had a lot of ideas going. I have stuff about like romance writing in there. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it was, it was my little manifesto on all kinds of things I was thinking about at that time. Um, and not to interrupt, but I, uh, yeah, I wanted to, cause I wanted to add one more thing too. Oh, yeah. I, I follow a podcast. I think it's actually really pertinent because it goes with my question. Um, that is on the uh, J.K. Rowling. Uh, it's called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, and they actually address her. Um, they actually address uh, her words, uh, Rowling's words, and you you can go to this podcast and you could actually see that they wanted to come together because they wanted they were so quote concerned about what she had said, and um, this is the actual. Um, post, I'll read it to you, that um, J.K. Rowling's recent and vehement transphobia, and if for our listeners, what she said was basically women can't have cervixes, that's it, even though, I mean, but yes, that's, wasn't it. You mean men, you mean men can't have cervixes. Yeah, excuse me, men, men, yeah, thankfully. <laughs> women can't either, no. And so this is, <laughs> we're, joined, we're, a joint, we're joined by our friend Jackson Bird to talk about why it's important to condemn Rowling and what we're thinking about in terms of the future of this podcast. We are so grateful to the dozens of trans and non-binary people who send voicemails for this episode. Um, They list some names who felt threatened um, that one, one, one person said that my life was at stake. So this is the kind of condemnation that she's receiving. And, you know, this is, and cancel culture actually would make a lot of sense from that particular position, because look at what you've done. You've denied people their 
lived reality. You've, um, you know, just the, that's a, that's a perfect example of why we should cancel her. And the, is the church buying into this? So I wanted, felt yeah. like that was pertinent to that question. So go ahead. Yeah. So this is, I've talked about this a little bit. I think the church does, well, it's, it's the same, the church does do this, but it's, the people who do it are informed by progressivism. It's the progressive wing of the church. I mean, I'm sure you can probably find examples of conservatives canceling other conservatives or something, but it's obviously not like a widespread thing that we see happening all the time. I mean, the left routinely finds something offensive, goes after it, you know, does what it absolutely can to slander it, suppress it, erase it. That's, that's, I mean, that's like their tactic. That's how it works. That's, that's just what the left does until the left ceases to exist anymore. Like that's how, if we don't stop the left, that's how the left will destroy itself is it'll just, the rules for what you can think and what you can say, will just keep getting more and more and more narrow and narrow and narrow. And then, you know, we're all outside of it and it implodes. But to answer your question, as far as cancel culture goes, I do think that, um, the church has a brand of this, has a version of this and it's, it looks like people like me, um, who when I come out and I try to say something that's um, not popular, it looks like quickly, swiftly calling me mean-spirited, calling me divisive. Call, you know, we have different words that we use. We don't say transphobic and this and that, but we say divisive is one of them. Um, there's probably more I'm just not thinking of. Uh, well, you're, not, you're not listening. You're not being compassionate. Yes. You don't really understand the other side. I've been accused of not listening to my black brothers and sisters. I've right. been accused of being heartless. Insensitive. You know, yeah, insensitive privilege. Sure. Uh, privilege yeah. has come up. Um, Brad, anyway. I would love to hear what you've been accused of. So. Yeah. Any, any names? <laughs> you can add to this one. Yeah. Same stuff, man. No, yeah, I definitely accused of being naive about my own privilege and, mm. and just not recognizing how growing up in a you know lower middle class um, home has has given me so many advantages in this world. So yeah. anyway, it's, it's a little bit silly. It all depends on who you're comparing your privilege to, right? And, right. and anyone born in America is privileged yeah. at this point. Absolutely. But, well, and what we see in that, what you're just describing, I mean, we can all see this, right? That there's no real engagement then with what you're saying. There's no real dialogue being had. It's just that you, Brad, should stop talking because you have privilege. That's how this always kind of plays out. It's like, you should stop talking because what you're saying is insert slander. When the subtext of that is you should stop talking because your argument undermines what I am trying to accomplish. And what I'm trying to accomplish is counterproductive to Christianity. That's oftentimes what it looks like is it's this kind of, it's just manipulation, right? Like people who, this is what we see with JK Rowling. The reason they had to cancel her is because you cannot argue with the argument that men can't be women. There's no good compelling argument. I mean, there are arguments you can make, but none of them are as good as the people who are arguing that men can't be women. So when you can't win the argument, what you have to do is vilify the person, slander the person, get them to stop talking. And then you sort of quote, win. You don't really, but that's, you know, that's, that's what it looks like. And 
people can do that. That's, that's a common thing that people do in our culture. And unfortunately, it does happen in the church, too. Church isn't immune to it. But I would say it's the same people who are on that side of the political spectrum. You know, just thinking about this, church churches can very well um, hide abusers very, very well. And maybe this is the way the new church hides abuse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather that than actually helpful. pointing out, because that's a form of abuse. I mean, abusive men I um, will often do that to their wives. And abusive wives will do that to their husbands. Um, they will vilify them, scream at them, shut them down through either verbal, physical, at times, mm-hmm. Um and so in a, if a couple's meeting and there's verbal abuse, or excuse me, physical abuse, I won't meet with them. I'll meet with her privately and say, look, I want to make sure that you're safe, but this is what's going on because I don't want to reward his bad behavior or yeah. her bad behavior. So it's, it's couples therapy is the last thing on your mind. So I think <laughs> the church, if the church isn't careful here and we reward actual abuse and our own members are doing that to one another, we got to be, we have to stand up to that. We have to yeah. stand up to all forms of abuse. What doesn't matter if it's coming from a minority doesn't right. matter. You know, well, abuse is evil. Abuse is wrong. And so, you know, and, and honestly on that, it's funny because I actually, I don't get that from minorities often. It's usually my white liberal friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a lot of African-American client, you know, friends and clients. They're like, yeah, this is my opinion of black, of black lives matter. And they're like, oh, you know, I disagree. And I have a wonderful conversation over a beer. It's my, it's my white liberal friends who are mm-hmm. vehemently, extremely opposed at what I have to say about that. It's not usually my, yeah. my, 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 clients yeah found that case well brad i don't know if you go ahead i'm sorry oh, yeah. no, i was going to add the one tiny little thing just on an encouraging note is like you said this is very bad this is a big problem and it, it must be addressed but i don't want to make people feel like the the solution is as overwhelming as the problem because the solution really just begins with when you're in a situation like this and someone's telling you in some subtle way or however they're doing it they're trying to manipulate you telling you to be quiet telling you, slandering you. It's just the next step of saying, no, no, I'm not going to be quiet. No, I'm not going to take on that label that you're giving me. I'm going to continue saying what needs to be said. I'll do it, you know, as nicely as I can, but I'm not going to stop. And if Christians have that attitude, if they just start there in whatever interaction it is, whether it's online, whether it's in person of, I reject you telling me, be quiet. I reject you calling me names. I'm going forward. We would see a lot of progress being made just there because many people kind of shut down. We just kind of accept mm-hmm. that when really that's just the first step is I'm not going to, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to stop talking. So what are we going to do now? <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that they're not used to that. The bullies are not used to that moment of we're, you haven't you haven't silenced me and i reject the names that you call me so what are we going to do now that's where that's where most christians need to find themselves right now today in that position and i think we would see a lot of progress yeah that's good and i I think you just addressing the you know asking for evidence instead of just an emotional appeal right Or, or a perceived sin so if i've done something against you Please point that out to me, and and not not some vague notion of privilege or implicit bias, or you know, you name the the hot button issue that that we're all accused of, without without there being any actual evidence personally of me committing it, um, <clears throat> and we're all guilty of a lot of those things. So again, it becomes you know like we do have bias, 
Um, but it becomes the only bias that really is problematic is the bias that, that white people have no other bias matters or is, is condemnable. And, um, and so I think part of, part of the Christian's duty is just getting to the bottom of the, of the truth, right? Actually, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, speaking the truth, doing it in love, but actually speaking the truth, not watering it down and right. or whitewashing it so that we can right. just be loving and nice. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was all very good. Um, I don't know if you want to address the last question. I, maybe I can pose it. I'd love to, I'd love to close it out. We're already a little bit over time, but uh, yeah, if, I, if it's not I, helpful, I, we can eliminate it. <laughs> um, I, I actually, no, I, I, I think ending on that was really great. Actually. I, okay. I, that was a great encouragement. Um, yeah. Okay. I think it was cool. good. Yeah. If you want to know yeah. my, if you just want my Trump thoughts off the record. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sure. you know, if you, okay, we could, yeah. we could, okay. I go off the record. Yeah. yeah. Well, what is your, whole, we have a whole podcast on it too. I can send it to you guys, but basically okay. Okay. my position, my position on Trump is you do the best with what you have. And Trump is the best that we have right now. I'm not thrilled yeah. that he's the best that we have by any means. Um, but that said, I think, Ian and I, the official position of Stasios that we'll write up and endorse is that basically a Democrat winning the presidency is, they've been very transparent about what they would like to do to the country. And for those of us who are concerned about liberty, religious liberty, the right to bear arms, freedom of speech, all of those things, we can expect those to rapidly deteriorate under a Biden presidency. Um, And there's really no reason not to. Like uh, Ian closely follows um, like the left wing journals and stuff. And they'll have like editorials by Dick Durbin and they'll talk about their, their plan is they're gonna stack the Supreme Court and they're gonna go Mm -hmm. after um, the second amendment. That's like top priority and their their aim is to fundamentally transform the abilities of the federal government. And in four years, they could definitely do it in a very, very seriously wow. dangerous way. And so that's why we say, yeah, Trump isn't a Christian. I know some Christians really, really want him to be. They really try to convince me that he is. Um, he's not. He's just not. But <laughs> I would love to have seen that conversation. <laughs> I, do, I do think yeah. he at least doesn't hate America. And I don't think he hates mm. Christians. So. I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of Christians don't have no idea what the Equality Act is. And I tell yeah. that to my Christian friends, like that's, you do realize that if you misgender your four-year-old, the federal government will have the authority to take your kid away and put him in custody. Yeah. It's very serious. So I, yeah, I think, I, I know there's so much anti-Trump stuff out there and I can't stand the man myself. And yes, I understand I'm like holding my nose when I'm going to vote for him, but, um, and I am. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, I just, I can't imagine losing all of those things yeah. and uh it's yeah. terrifying it really is it's it's and i think that's where a lot of a lot of christians are just they're they're just wanting to slam trump because again that's easy yeah. everybody does yeah. the world is your friend but i mean that's that's easy mm-hmm. to do absolutely yeah. Yeah. there's no bravery though into saying in saying that it's more you know pointing out some of the things yeah. that you know that exactly. you guys are so exactly well, um, let's i agree let's, yeah let's end with a projection what do you guys think november <laughs> Uh, it's the polls are looking a little worse at this time than they were four years ago. So are you hopeful? I would be, well, just for background for you, obviously I wasn't really deep into cultural commentary until about two years ago. So in 2016, 
I had totally resigned myself to a Hillary Clinton presidency. I never thought mm-hmm. Donald Trump would win in a million years. I went to bed on election night. I was like, I'm going to wake up. Hillary Clinton's going to be president. I did too. Yeah, I remember that. That, <laughs> that was like my attitude. And I remember yeah. at like 6 a.m., Jeff being like, Donald Trump is the president. <laughs> like yeah. just utterly <laughs> shocked. And yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. My just my pure gut instinct tells me he's gonna win by a lot, but wow. I don't know. Could be wrong. Wow. I just I actually think he's gonna win too. Yeah. There's I think there's a silent majority mm-hmm. of middle that are so, polls. yeah that are that are not being interviewed that are just infuriated right now. Oh yeah. Well, you know, you guys maybe don't know this, but you know that couple that's infamous now for holding their guns in Missouri, mm-hmm. the guy mm-hmm. with the AR and the lady with the pistol. They were Democrats their whole life, you know. They voted Democrat, and wow. look at it's like that's just a picture. That's like a perfect little portrayal of you are loyal yeah. to the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is not loyal to you. So I have to assume that wow. many of these people in these cities that are burning at some point right. have to be like, right. hmm, perhaps, <laughs> oh, yeah. perhaps the yeah. have something to do with it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I actually have a lot of very very liberal clients who are rethinking the whole thing. They don't like identity politics. They don't like the trans stuff that's being pushed. They don't. And, um, they're considering the other side and, um, that's encouraging. That's really, yeah. Yeah. So, and, in my heathen state of mass, so so, I don't know, we can, we can maybe keep that. I mean, I liked where the podcast went a a whole lot. I, I think maybe we'll save the political stuff. That's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, you can do, a, really, you can do like another one sometime if you really yeah, want to get into yeah. it. Well, I, mean, uh, Ian uh, I really was more just interested. <laughs> I was too, yeah. yeah. I, I hope you win. I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I hope you win. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like he will, but you know, who knows? Who knows what else yeah. could happen between now and November? But yeah. I just, I feel like kind of what you said, Peter. I feel like there's a lot of people that are like, I don't want, I don't want to be ruled by a party that does this. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. I, where I go, where I work out there, I have four police officers I work out with all lifelong Democrats saying, you know, I feel so unsupported right now. And they're, I yeah. mean, they, they come to the gym and they, they look traumatized. They do. And Brad and I actually mm-hmm. interviewed chief, um, a police of his town and wow. he was very informative about just how much trauma they're going through, even in small little towns where there's not a lot of crime. Yeah. But yeah, I just I was just yeah. asking them and they're like, Yeah, I'm voting voting for Trump and yeah. and I've been a lifelong Democrat my whole life. And I'm like, wow. yeah. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of people that are I'm hoping that yeah. are pretty pretty upset. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. Yeah. You guys probably have other things to do with your life, but no, yeah. <laughs> thank you I, for having me on. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. This is really, yeah. really helpful. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice really to see you, Brad. Huh? And nice to see you again, yes. Tito. Yeah. I feel like this isn't our last time. I yeah. feel like no. I have this dream of all the, I know who you're talking about on YouTube of, yeah. this is my dream in like three years that we kind of find people and we have a conference. Oh, that would be fun. Talking about this stuff. Yeah. And I think there is a huge rise of Christians who don't really know how to define what we're seeing and that are feeling pretty bombarded. I don't know if you've read Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise. Yes. I would really encourage you to read it. Yeah, because that's just 
it's I think it's number one on the Amazon Prime. A lot of Christians yeah. are reading that, and it's it's a in, good in a category. Book. It's not number in one category. Overall. Yeah, not <laughs> number one overall. But I think in what in really not religion, but race, maybe. What, what do you maybe think? Maybe church and culture or something church like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So okay. yeah, I don't know if you had some concerns about that, but I mean, I yeah. think there are a oh, lot yeah. of yeah, right. Um, so I think AD has done a lot on Jamar to uh -huh. I think the other guy who is it, Eric something, Eric Mason, Eric Mason. woke church, yeah. yeah, woke church, yep. So AD oh, Robles right. is really yeah, I like him. I, yeah, I've listened to him, oh. and I, and I, I like yeah. AD. Um, I will say he was really harsh at times with uh, with, so I I was mentored by Legan Duncan. Okay, so oh, okay. so that puts me in a category where people maybe assume uh, a um, a bit of a soft spot or something, mm -hmm. and and uh, I'm less willing to be critical or something like that. But but when he when he, he there was one inter or one episode on his YouTube channel where he said uh, he was really mocking Legan when he got choked up in his uh, at the very end of his sermon at together for the gospel or gospel coalition one of those uh, where he basically confessed to his own past of race racial views and racism and um just this long trajectory of coming to where he is now and anyways i just thought man to to mock him for that uh to not know the man and to, to suggest that he that he was faking tears in order to win uh, some uh, uh sympathy was gotcha. was so far that it was hard. I almost I kind of canceled him at that point. <laughs> but I, I do I have listened to AD Robles and I and I think he's got some some helpful things to yeah. say as well. well. He can just be a little harsh at times. Yeah. I'm a little yeah. more I want to win some. <laughs> yes, yes. Well and you know yeah. honestly I don't know when that was, but I do know he kind of had a moment. Um he I don't know if you know his background, but he pastored a church and he was actually kind of forced to step down. Because, oh, of, because of his YouTube work, um, they okay. basically kind of told him, like, you can either, we'll either fire you or you can resign. And he chose to resign. And that wasn't that long ago. That was pretty fairly recently. And I, I think that maybe, I mean, he's still very committed to his critiques, but I just got the impression in reading about that and then talking to him myself that maybe he's kind of, um, you know, matured a little bit. Like, you know, because it's, it's easy to, like, like I said, you want to lean into your supervillain and, but you gotta be, there's a, there's a finesse to that. And I think mm. he's probably better at doing it now than he was early on in his yeah. YouTube career. Yeah. But, mm. and he was probably but, nicer to me cause I'm a lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be, you know, so like, but, yeah. When you're yeah. doing interviews, he's yeah. yeah. He has his own little podcast. I don't mean to well, just, I don't mean to be critical of, of people that we're, we're recommending, but I just feel no, like, no. you know, no. I, it it's uh it was just my take on on that and that's where i i, I say man if we've if we've got to be able to have a conversation and mm -hmm. we just shut people down when we start attacking motives or character right right, and the, right. On both sides well and so. see that's like the great thing is i'm sure you guys would be totally willing to have ad on and talk to him right. and speak right. it you're not you're not just going to be like how divisive you are ad exactly right <laughs> you know right. Like obviously yeah. that doesn't help us yeah no, I well, I would love to. Yeah, I'd love to get your contact. I'd love to get Ian's contact. Love to have oh, him yeah. on. Um, that'd be great. And then, I, yeah, like I said, I don't feel like this is the last. This is the last time we'll meet. 
Yes. Still have this vision. Have a vision, and maybe when coronavirus is finally settled, maybe love it. Uh, yeah, well, I'll let you we administrate have- that. We'll vision. have to, yeah, yeah maybe I will. We'll have to do it like in the Midwest yeah. so that you can, I, I don't have to fly too long and you don't have to fly too long. There we anyway. go. That'd be good. Maybe, yeah. Well, thanks. And I'll yeah, launch from a car. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Thanks, Carmen. Yeah, thank yes. you. Yes. Thank you very much. It was fun. Day. Yes. It yeah, was you too. Right. Yeah, thanks, Carmen. This is awesome. All thank right. you. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a encouraging um, interview. Definitely, thank you, Carmen, for joining us. Enjoyed the interaction and gave us some additional things to think about, resources to to consider. So, uh, hopefully, we can interact with her again in the near future. But I just want to recommend a. That if you enjoyed this um, podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a review. Um, you can also join us in the conversation on Facebook at Sound Engagement, our our Facebook page. Um, so like the page and follow along as we share uh, articles that we find encouraging or helpful to the debate and the discussion that we're trying to foster here, specifically regarding the culture, but really. Uh, you know, thinking about the impact it, it will have directly on the church. And and, um, and so while we invite everyone to come and, and listen in, uh, we do have, have a goal to, to hopefully persuade people of these uh, seeing other sides that, that the culture is, is really not allowing us to interact with or see. So mm. hope to hope you can, you can continue to, to join us and, and follow along. Thanks for listening. Any, any parting words? All right, Peter. Uh, go in peace. We're so, so happy that you listened uh, on today's episode, and we look forward to hopefully having you in the future. <laughs> so, great. <laughs> awesome. great. I was about to say, see you. I will see you soon, but I'm not going to see any of these people. So, you will hear, you'll hear we'll, from us. We'll, they will hear from you. Yes, we definitely will. Thanks All again, right. guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.